0: Hi everybody, I'm Sabri Beneshaw from Marketplace. And I'm Tim Fernholz from Quartz. And this is Actuality. What you're asking can't be done.
1: This is a futile effort.
0: If it could be done, it shouldn't be
2: done. But it can't be done. It can't be done, obviously.
1: This season on Actuality, they said it couldn't be done. Each episode looks at the people
3: and companies taking on challenges that have never been accomplished. And this week... They said, "Michael, you're crazy. You cannot do serious comic book movies. Michael, you're nuts. You cannot do dark superheroes. Michael, you're out of your mind. You can't make a movie based on an old television series. That's never been done." Isn't that crazy? They told
4: him they couldn't. You couldn't make a, a movie based on a TV show, and that's like every movie now. <laughs> I mean, it didn't. It didn't just impact comic book movies. It impacted like every type of movie. You're hearing Tommy Andres right now, by the way.
0: Tommy is our is a marketplace friend. producer. <laughs> is our friend and marketplace producer.
4: Hey, guys. So, Tommy, you've got a good
1: old-fashioned superhero origin story
4: for us. Yes, I do, and it's uh, about a superhero you may have heard of. His name is Batman. No, no, we're not, not ringing any bells. <laughs> well, maybe you've tried to forget because the Batman Superman movie's out right now. Boom! Mm. Bruce Wayne meets Clark Kent. I love it. I love bringing people together. But uh, (laughs) receiving terrible reviews. (laughs) In the latest in what seems like an endless stream of comic book movies, uh, it's it's kind of surprising that there wasn't always this endless stream of comic book movies. They're kind of a newer phenomenon. Literally, people said that could not be done. Couldn't be done. And the big cultural shift that sort of paved the way for Batman versus Superman, for better or for worse, is in large part thanks to one person. Bruce
3: Wayne. Uh, no, Uh <laughs> his name is Michael Uslin. It was a cold night in January 1966. I had been waiting for months for this night. I was 14 years old. The Batman TV show was about to debut on ABC. This
2: is an ABC color presentation.
3: And then it came on the air, and I was horrified by what I was saying. <laughs> The entire world was laughing at Batman, and that just killed me. That night, downstairs in my den, I made a vow, not unlike Bruce Wayne, somehow, someday, I would find a way to show the world what the true Batman is and erase from the collective consciousness of the world culture these three little words that were soon to haunt me for decades, POW. Zap, and wham. And that became my mission.
4: So Michael was obsessed with comic books growing up. His mom says he learned to read from comics. He, has, he had like 30,000 in his garage. His dad actually had to move his car out and not park in there anymore. Uh, and Batman was his absolute favorite superhero.
1: What was it about Batman? What was the appeal?
4: Well, I think it's the same appeal to a lot of folks. Uh, Batman's just a regular guy and doesn't have superpowers. He finds a way to to battle crime uh, as just an everyday man. So anyway, Michael's uh, love of comics follows him to college. Indiana University has this crazy program uh, in the 70s where you could actually pitch your own class, and if they liked it, they'd let you teach it. Even if you don't have, like, a Ph.D. or anything? Yeah, you can be anyone. An undergrad can teach their own class. So he actually pitches a course on comic books, and his argument is that they're modern-day mythology.
3: So he meets with the dean. In what would become a life-changing moment for me, I said, are you familiar with the story of Moses? He said, yeah, so? Um, By any chance, do you recall the origin of Superman? Comic books and superheroes are our modern-day mythology. The ancient gods of Greece, Rome, Egypt, all still exist. Except today, they wear spandex and capes. And then he stops, stares at me for what I swear to you was an eternity, and then says, your course is accredited. I am now the world's first college professor of comic books.
4: So uh, he goes on to start teaching comic books, and he has this crazy way to sort of promote his class. Uh, He decides to
3: call up uh, a member of the media. I got back to my apartment, and I picked up the phone and I called United Press International. I asked to speak to a reporter, and I started to scream at him, What is wrong with you? You're supposed to be the watchdog of our society. And he says, Calm down. What are you talking about? I go, are you kidding me? There's a course on comic books being taught at Indiana University. I'm a taxpayer in this state. They are using my money to teach our kids comic books. This has got to be some communist plot to subvert the youth of America. And I slammed down the phone. He is pretending to be an irate citizen in order to get press for his class. Yeah, exactly. So he came down to Bloomington and interviewed me. The story came out, and that was picked up by virtually every newspaper in North America and a whole bunch in Europe. I never taught one class that wasn't filled with television cameras and reporters.
4: And all that press gets him another kind of attention.
3: About two weeks or so later, my phone rings, and it's a vice president from D.C. Comics in New York. And he said, you are a very innovative young man. We would like to fly you into New York and discuss ways we could work together. Next thing I know, I'm in New York City. They offer me a job where I'm still an undergrad. Um, I'll work there in my summers, and then they'll put me on retainer while I am back at school at Indiana. And you want to talk about a fanboy geeky dream moment? This was it for me.
1: So he's now in college, and he just starts writing comic books.
4: Yeah, which is kind of insane. It's sort of a dream-come-true situation for him. He starts with one called The Shadow, and eventually they actually give him a crack at Batman. So he's thrilled, but uh, when he gets
3: that first issue in his hand, he actually kind of has a weird feeling. I couldn't have been more excited until I looked at the comic and then panicked because I realized this dream I had since I was eight years old has come true. I don't have another dream. What's my dream going to be next? And it it took me 10 minutes before the epiphany hit. And that's when I remembered back to that cold night in January 66 and the vow that I made. And I said, "Okay, I am going to find a way to make dark and serious Batman movies. And I am now going to show the world what that true Batman is like. Any vow to bring darkness and
0: grimness
4: is a vow I can stand behind. Right. But the crazy part is part of the reason Michael was able to do this is because the popularity of comic books in the late 70s was tanking. They brought in a writer like Michael because it wasn't very easy to find talent. There was actually sort of a real
3: cultural swing against them. The 50s, the 60s, the 70s. You were still getting the reverberations of the generation of adults who grew up fearing comic books, thinking they were their tools of the devil, that they were corrupting the youth of America – um, this one psychiatrist in his book even claimed that comic books caused asthma because children were staying indoors to read them instead of playing in the fresh air. That was the atmosphere. This was you know, pre-nerd cool. This is pre-nerd cool.
4: And this yeah. is sort of, this is you when know. when cool was cool. Yeah, it was like a, a very small group of passionate followers. It was definitely not the giant audience that, that comic books and comic book culture sort of enjoy today.
0: Okay, it's one thing to write a comic book. How do you make that into a movie? <laughs>
3: the general feeling was that the only comic book character that had blockbuster potential to be made into a movie was Superman, period, end of story. So I went back to the vice president of DC Comics who had ushered me into the business, and he was now the president of DC Comics, a wonderful man named Saul Harrison. And I said, Saul, I want to buy the rights to Batman and make these dark and serious movies. And he was chagrined. And said, Michael, for God's sake, don't do this. Don't you understand that since Batman went off the air on television, the brand is as dead as a dodo? Nobody's interested in Batman anymore. I said, yeah, but if we do dark and serious comic book superhero movies, that's never been done. It'll almost be like we're creating a new form of entertainment. And he goes, is there any way I can talk you out of this? And I said, no. And he shrugged and he said, All right, schmoozle, come on in. This is so
0: crazy to me that that this, like, how old is he now? He's 27. Yeah, he 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 can go buy the rights to freaking Batman.
4: Yeah, he gets a partner. He raises a bunch of money from investors, like dentists and doctors and lawyers, pretty much anybody he can find that has any money. And after six months of negotiating, he buys Batman on October 3rd, 1979. I got to know, how much did he pay? You know, he won't say. (sighs) Uh, I I don't know if he can't say or he just doesn't want to, but but he definitely will not tell me.
0: If he's 27 at the time, in 1979, I cannot imagine he's paying
4: much. Right, I can't imagine that either. So here's what he says uh, about that, actually.
3: So when people say, we don't understand, how does a kid in his 20s buy the rights to Batman? It's a very unglamorous answer. I got him because nobody else on the planet Earth showed up. Nobody else wanted him.
4: So Michael quit his job. He moves to Hollywood and he thinks, well, this will be easy, right? This, this sells itself. Uh, and, and he figures investors will be lining up at the door to, uh, to make a Batman movie,
3: a real slam dunk. I was turned down by every single studio in Hollywood. I was told it was the worst idea they ever heard. They said, Michael, you're crazy. You can't make a movie based on an old television series. That's never been done. He got one particularly harsh rejection from Columbia Pictures, he told me about. The guy there kind of shook his head, gave me a tisk tisk, and said, Michael, Batman will never be successful as a movie because our movie, Annie, didn't do well. And I said, are you talking about that little red-headed girl who sings the song Tomorrow? He said, Yeah. I go, Well, what does that have to do with Batman? He said, Oh, come on, Michael. They're both out of the funny pages. It's a hard the life knock, knock life for, for us. us. It's the hard knock mm-hmm.
4: life for us. Did the sun come out tomorrow? Uh, it, it did. Uh, it took a lot of tomorrows, actually.
3: Ten years. Ten years of a lot of rejection and a lot of. People telling you your ideas are awful. Okay, okay, I get it, I get it. People were really dumb in the 80s about
0: what made a good movie, apparently. When did the rejection actually stop? Like, when did he finally find someone who wanted to make this damn movie?
4: So, finally, Michael and his business partner get a meeting with a young leader of a new offshoot of Casablanca Records. They're actually starting their own movie production studio. And uh, they were looking for projects, so Michael had cut a picture of Jack Nicholson from The Shining out of a newspaper and whitened out his face and colored his lips red and his hair green to look like Batman's arch nemesis, the Joker. And Casablanca sort of liked that and the pitch he gave them. That's nuts. So they have the banking of this Casablanca company, but they have to find a director. So Michael gets a meeting with this young guy who's fresh off this big Hollywood hit, Pee-wee's Big Adventure.
3: Pee-wee Herman is Pee-wee Herman. Hello! Hello! In Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh,
1: Another famous Tim? Tim Burton? Yes, another famous Tim. Tim Tim Burton did Pee Wee's Big Adventure? He sure did. Yeah, can you believe that made his career? (laughs) What?
4: So, Michael and Tim have a few lunches, the other Tim. Michael tells Tim Burton he wants this to be a really dark and serious picture, and and they hit it off. uh, And then a few weeks later, Michael gets a call from a studio executive. And the executive says Tim Burton has found the perfect Batman, Michael Keaton.
3: I could see the posters now. Mr. Mom is Batman. To me, it was like, oh, my God, here goes eight years of work going down the drain. How could this happen?
4: So Michael's all worried now that his work, all his work he's done to make Batman serious is going to go
3: down the drain. So uh, he called Tim Burton. I said, but he's my height, and he he doesn't have a square jaw, and he doesn't have the muscles. And Tim explained, I can cheat height. We can build musculature into a, a costume, but this movie actually is not about Batman. And I said, what? He said, this movie is about Bruce Wayne. Whoa, epiphany. He said, if, if we are going to do this and get the audiences to believe and take seriously a superhero, they've got to believe in Bruce Wayne. And he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. So
4: the movie comes out and it's a big success.
3: It was more than that. I mean, this movie was huge. It was absolutely revolutionary. It turned Hollywood on its head. It turned around the studio's business plans. And it has had a world impact. These kinds of movies have opened up foreign markets and not only impacted the box office, it impacted the world culture. changed history. Batman is the reason that almost every movie at the theater
4: is now a comic book movie.
0: And Michael Uslan is the reason Batman came to be. So we can blame him. Or thank him. And also, thank you, Tommy. Thanks so much for bringing this story. After talking to Tommy, I'm just curious to get the thoughts of someone who lives and breathes comics on a daily
1: basis. All right. Heidi McDonald. Hello. Oh, sorry. I was asked, that, was, that was a question. Is that how I say your name? Is that right? yeah, okay. Yes, yes. Hello. Hello, it. Heidi. Hello. Heidi is a former editor for Walt Disney and DC Comics, and she's the editor-in-chief of ComicsBeat.com, which is the news site for the comics world. Indeed. Hi. So, Sabri and I don't really know that much about comics, but mm-hmm. we're interested now oh. because we don't have a choice anymore in our society.
2: That's right.
1: Comics are That's dominating right. the box office. Yes, yes. And apparently we have Batman to thank for that.
2: Yeah. I mean, you could, you could say that. Obviously, uh, the Batman movie of 1989, uh, directed by Tim Burton, was kind of the first real event superhero movie, and... There were so many really horrible superhero movies. Like, there was an awful Captain America movie starring Matt Salinger, son of J.D. Salinger. It was so bad it was never released. There was a Fantastic Four movie that was so bad it was never released. And this is
1: after the 1989 Batman? No, this is is...
2: before that. So So... this is why no one cared. Mm,
1: Okay. (laughs) So basically, Hollywood pre-1989 Batman is littered with the corpses of failed comic books movies. What happened afterward? Uh,
2: you know, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. So we. Nibble from, suit. Yes, the crotch, uh, you know, the um, codpiece era, the Joel <laughs> Schumacher era, uh, which led to the Christopher Nolan era. And he was very much about grim, gritty Christian Bale, you know, deep voice, I am Batman, uh, you know, very serious. I'm going to the Himalayas now to learn from my mentor and learn the ways of the Bat Shaolin. So this uh, made it very, very okay to like Batman again. And it's interesting that you talk to Mike Usland because he is a perfect example of how this happened because he was a fan. He was a fan of the comics a long time ago,
0: and he saw their potential. So Michael Usland paved the way for the current explosion of comic book movies, yeah?
2: What you see now, actually, is that New generations of Uselands have come along who are hep to the characters, and they've kind of taken over Hollywood just a little bit.
1: What are you thinking of?
2: Kevin Feige. I mean, the guy who runs Marvel Studios. I mean, this guy is a a genius.
1: Well, let me ask you this question. It's yes. about this this identification with the characters. But now in this latest movie, Batman vs. Superman, I'm hearing from people who are <laughs> in the comics world who love these characters who say, I don't recognize these people on screen. People, I guess, are upset that Batman kills a lot of people in this new movie. Yeah, just which a is-
2: tiny detail, yeah.
1: But that's a big deal to people who love Batman, right?
2: (laughs) Right, it is. And, uh, you know, I'm not even the world's biggest Batman fan, but even I, when he pulled out a gun, it was like, bam, bam, I was like, what is happening? (sighs) You know, people are very invested in these characters. And that's what makes them both very successful and what makes it perilous for the people making the movies. So, I mean, is there a real Batman? Yeah, in your heart. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, in Zack Snyder's heart and Christopher Nolan's heart and, you know, more people like Chris Nolan's version than Zack Snyder's version.
1: Do you think that there's any likelihood for like a turn back to like real campiness like the 1960s Batman or something like that?
2: Well, I think you saw that with Deadpool. Deadpool.
1: Right? Freaking love Deadpool. Did you like, yeah, right? Yeah, I loved it
0: so much. But go ahead.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, we just answered the question. Listen, I go see these movies for a living, and I'm bored. I'm bored, you know? I mean, like, they just released the trailer for the new Doctor Strange movie. Now, Doctor Strange is this awesome sorcerer who goes – he also goes to the Himalayas and learns to be trained by the ancient one.
1: i got to get to the Himalayas. Yeah, there's
2: a lot going on there. But it's like, oh, it's his origin again. Oh, he goes and he meets, you know, the ancient one and he trains. He's teaching me the ways of the force. I, I mean magic. And then he fights a villain who's going to destroy the world. So, you know, we've seen that in a lot of Marvel movies. So Deadpool was so welcome. Oh, my God. And, I mean, I wasn't even, like, I was kind of shocked. I said, well, I don't know if people are going to like this because it's, it's pretty tweaky. Guess what? People loved it because he wasn't mm. mean-spirited. He could say all sorts of really foul things. But because he loved his girlfriend, his fiance, and he had a good heart, and he was Ryan Reynolds.
0: <laughs> people, and that last part probably helped. People <laughs> uh,
2: were, but people were fine with it, you know.
0: It's like having a really hot racist grandfather.
1: <laughs>
2: Pretty much.
1: You're taking me from having wanting to see this movie to now <laughs> reconsidering that. Well, <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you. But you no,
2: know, I mean it's really funny because I thought people were going to really have a fit over Deadpool, and so little pushback on it. So yeah, I mean, can to answer your question, it's here to stay. It's not going away, but it is going to change tone. It has to because people don't like the same thing for too long. They need
0: they.
1: You got to tell Hollywood about that.
2: Well, they crave (laughs) crave variety and change at some point.
0: Has the Batman franchise and the rise of comic book movies had a notable influence on minorities and women as depicted in film?
2: Well, I think one of the changes that I was just mentioning is that there's going to be a Wonder Woman movie. You know, Warner Brothers has struggled with making a Wonder a Wonder Woman movie for decades, and even at one point, the guy who was running Warner Brothers Studio said, "You know, I don't think women can open films." So
1: I want to ask you what year that was, but I'm not sure. I want to know. I know the answer. it was very recent. It oh. was very,
2: very recent, like five, six years ago.
1: That's sad.
2: There's a lot. There's a lot to overcome. I could tell you, even from my inside sources, I know there's a lot of questions, a lot of insecurity about making a Wonder Woman movie. They have been on the fence about it for so long. And yet, by luck, at the exact time when they released this movie, the audience for female-led entertainment is huge. Hmm. Even people who hated Batman v. Superman, of which there are many... Everyone said, Wonder Woman is the best thing in this movie. That's and now I mean, people, people are, mm. they can't wait, you know? They can't wait for Wonder Woman. You know, you see Disney jumping into Star Wars. You know, if the first, the first Awakens obviously raised the main character. Now Rogue One with Felicity Jones and like the internet exploded. It's like two Star Wars movies with female lead characters in a row. This is the end times. <laughs> um, But, you know, Disney makes so much money off of girls. They have no fear whatsoever. And Warner Brothers is very timid about it, I think, and other studios are very timid about it.
0: Well, part of it might be that stupid invisible plane (laughs)
2: <laughs> right and they need to like you know her origin is based in all these weird bondage polyamorous theories of the guy who created her so some that. people did not yeah. know that yep whole book came out about it yeah the guy was a total wackadoo well you know what <laughs> wackadoo's too strong i take that back that is libelous he's not a wackadoo he was very unusual eccentric and had two wives huh which is fine that's awesome uh he had some really <laughs> interesting ideas about male female relationships though and uh, that involved bondage and submission huh so this is might also have created some of the hesitancy over bringing wonder woman to a wider uh platform
0: well, wonder woman needs a michael useless to sort yes. of like bring her <laughs> yes
1: well maybe she's found one yeah hopefully <laughs> fingers crossed yeah uh heidi mcdonald is the editor-in-chief of comicsbeat.com thanks a well, lot heidi thank thanks, you guys thanks. What have we learned today? I have got to get to the Himalayas and start my training. (laughs) This is kind of crazy. We live in a world of comic book movies, and it's kind of because one guy back in the day just had faith in this character and put his whole life behind it.
0: Yeah, I think he somehow tapped into what probably has always been there, you know, our collective desire for hero stories.
1: but. Somehow Hollywood had forgotten about it for a while. I guess you need the right story for the moment. And it's crazy to see how these characters evolve and how the people in the subcultures that are obsessed with them care so much about their purity, even as they become this kind of mass market phenomenon. It's a new place for society to look, the superheroes, how they change. I think they reflect how society changes, too. You know, I've always wanted to do a really gritty reboot of Sesame Street.
0: (laughs) Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll have like like a hardcore apocalyptic dystopic version of childhood innocent
1: something for the modern age yeah they told Michael Uslan it couldn't be done so why not and once again we
0: are I'm afraid out of the time that we've arbitrarily set for ourselves.
1: We want to hear your feedback on this episode and the season. Tell us what couldn't be done or what shouldn't be done for this uh, for this show. <laughs> you can tweet at us at ActualityPod or email us at mpqz at Marketplace.org. Thanks, Claire Tennisgetter, for being our producer. Thanks, Deirdre Dutke for her help. She's New York bureau chief at Marketplace. And thanks to Sitar Nieves in Marketplace's Los Angeles bureau and Tommy Andres, the producer who brought us this great interview with Michael Uslan. Also, thank you, Jake Gorski, for making our theme music and being our engineer. See you next week with more stories from the world of things that can't be done, but then were ultimately completed.